Hey guys, Jeremiah Zimmerman here. Hope you're doing well. Before we get into it today with Zena and Don Casper, I want to let you know about a couple of things. My new record, Decay of the Angel, solo clarinet and electronics, is out this Friday, August 17th. Please pick up a copy or check it out on all streaming services. Go to 5049records.com to find out more. Also want to let you know that this Wednesday, August 15th, we'll be back at Arate for another live concert and podcast taping. It'll be Ben Goldberg, the great. My favorite episode of the whole podcast was episode 49 with Ben. He's back. He's going to play solo, and then Ben and I are going to talk about some stuff. That's this Wednesday at Arate, Greenpoint, Brooklyn, 67 West Street. Come on out. All right. Here is a live podcast from July 31st, 2018 with Zena Parkins and Don Casper. Uh, thanks for coming out to our attention. Uh, tonight, Zena Parkins with Don Casper. Uh, this is a uh, live concert recording. Uh, I do a podcast once a week where I talk to other musicians. For these nights after the concert, uh, we'll be doing a conversation to be recorded for the podcast. So after Don and Zena play, uh, we're going to take a five-minute break and then come back for the conversation. Uh, they're each going to play a solo piece, then a duo piece. Um, Don Casper from Virginia, now from Kingston. Zena Parkins from Detroit, now from New York. <laughs>
I like your green cables. That's a nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Alder, is there any way to turn the light down just a little bit? Just like a little mood lighting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This way you can see people, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, thank you everybody for coming out um, to Arate. This is the uh, third one of these events that we've done. Um, usually I have people come over to my house. Uh, we kind of draw the conversation out a little bit. Um, it's a little darker in my house. Uh, thank you once again to Zena Parkins and uh, Don Casper for performing. Oh, nice, thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, exactly. <laughs> So, I th as, uh, as, as far as I know, uh, this was the first time you guys have performed together. Yeah. That's right. If you could, I mean, I guess, well, we can start with Dawn, but if you could tell me about how you guys kind of first came into contact with one another, or maybe we won't start with Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, where did you guys first yeah, encha uh, encounter um, each other? Venice. Venice. Venice, last year, Venice. Venice, California. Say something, Italy. About, Italy. Say something about the project you were doing, because it was amazing. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, um, so Zena was um, recording in the French Pavilion in the, uh, at, the, at the Venice Biennale in the Art, the art Biennial and, uh, last year, and I was working on a durational performance. Um, I moved there, and I was performing for, for every day for seven months. In a, in, a, in a nomadic studio. So it was like sort of a residency program. And uh, yeah, Zena, I, I would hang out in the French pavilion and. Um, we and made it, it to yeah. your yeah, movable fun. studio yeah. a couple times. So yeah. for <coughs> those of you that don't know, and I, I'm newly but familiar with it. We have a lot of it, mutual friends yeah. too. So. Dawn does uh, sort of, an, I guess, an ongoing project um, called the, uh, the uh, Nomadic. Studio practice experiment. Practice experiment. Yes. Where you set up in a location. Yes. For a long-term performance, where essentially the audience is coming and going from your workspace on a public display. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. So, for example, um, the piece that I was just talking about in Venice, that piece was called "The Sun, the Moon, and the Stars." So the overarching concept is that it's a nomadic studio. So when I'm invited to exhibit, I propose exposing the process of creating the exhibition as the exhibition. So I make the work on site as um, exposing the process of what goes into um, creating whatever work is involved in whatever exhibition I've been invited in. So uh -huh. it varies. Sometimes it's anywhere from seven months to what you experienced this evening, which was like 15 minutes. So right. it can be just a variety of different objects. Or, for example, with regard to the seven-month performance, I brought my entire studio. So I made paintings and sculptures and sound and music. Well, and you, I mean, you had like your living yeah. situation in yeah, there, too, yeah. as well. Yes, yes. Which I think for a lot of artists that we know, the studio and the living situation is often one and the same. Correct, yeah. It was sort of born from necessity. Yeah. Um, but I also work on other things like sound sculptures. But I mean, I think tonight like seems to me, and I, I'm you know newly familiar to, to what you do. It seemed like a really good example of, or, or uh, an example of sort of like a, ho a holistic approach mm -hmm. where objects, sound, um, and what a group of people experiences in a room really kind of becomes one thing. Correct. <laughs> yes. So a lot of it's improvised, improvised, but it's also. Um, so I use recordings from previous evenings like this, or or like uh, just field recordings, and um, I uh, use cassette tapes, and mm -hmm. so it, it's like very it's layering of different um, sounds, but it's also responding to the environment too. Mm -hmm. So and to Zena, of course. Um, yeah. But I have a question: How do you decide? Like, do you? <clears throat> decide if you have a good recording or a bad recording do you like do you have recordings that you don't use and then the pile you do use or is everything it's not categorized as like good I'm super like, unorganized yeah, yeah but like most <clears throat> of them come out really not so great but um 
but it just depends like i'll shorten it and loop it but it's funny right now like i'm i like that it's clunky and awkward like my cables are kind of busted so if i hold it a certain only if i hold it a certain way will it will it work so um i like adapting to that um and um i like i like the idea of it kind of not sounding the way that i expect it so um but there are certain things like um, that one sample of Lucy's shoes. It's like a woman walking. Um, those sorts of samples, I'll, they're like my go-tos go that I, I know will work in any sort of circumstance if I feel awkward. Right. <laughs> like, I, like I'm like too much space or something. Um, but yeah, I was just saying this off the recording, but it's... Um, it's interesting, um, this idea of giving enough space to the sound and like when to pull back and when to like make it really full. And um, I really appreciated our dynamic this evening in that um, it felt very fluid, mm -hmm. um, that negotiation of space, which I'll admit I wasn't sure how I would handle it because like a lot of the time I get nervous and I just want to fill with like lots of different things. I don't know how you That's feel. That's classic. About, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like just get loud. When in doubt, just get loud or something. Like, I don't know if I'm making sense. Oh, God. Yeah. I think you're making perfect sense. And I yeah. think I'd actually yeah. like to hear Zina speak to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, finding the silence and finding the <clears throat> space in what you're doing, in, which may not necessarily mean not playing, but changing textures or... Yeah, texture. Like, that's or cool. density or so volume. For some of you that, that may not know, in addition to you know the, the huge body of work that Zena um, has put forward, she's also spent a considerable amount of time working with students at, at Mills College in, in Oakland. And when you're working with students, is that something that you focus on, which is sort of how to get past, you know, a physical or mental impulse that might, you know, affect the, you know, might get in the person's way of, of having, you know, a, yeah, I, mean, I don't want to say more meaningful, but a more... The idea, I mean, the overarching idea is listening, right? Right. And being, and having at least um, <clears throat> that ability or that interest in, in being inside and outside of yourself. And, and be able to kind of toggle between the two of like being in the sound and then being, you know, like being able to look at it and be in it from different points of view so that you can f be the listener from different points of view. Right. I mean, and I, I find that hugely um, important. Can you remember a time specifically in your life where you kind of began to? F uh, fall into that place more Yesterday. naturally. <laughs> <laughs> it really seems like it's the big lesson. I, I was talking last night um, with Brandon Seabrook, the guitar mm. player. We were having a conversation about using space and music, and it seems like a like a matured musical thing to do to you know practice restraint and leave a lot of space. But it can be equally meaningless at times to just insert space. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, just putting space in doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really mean anything either. It, it's, it's how to be present in a musical moment uh -huh. and however you're responding to that. It, it's just, for me, it's just having like that presence. Yeah. And like having that consciousness. But even though sometimes in playing, you're totally outside of yourself, but right. just sort of, it, it's negotiating a lot of different streams of activity. <laughs> Well, like for instance, Don, you had um, some pre-recorded materials. Mm -hmm. And have you, how do you sort of negotiate being in the moment and, and having sounds that are malleable and, and responsive to what Zian is doing when the material itself is already like a fixed event? Mm. Well, the, the earlier today in anticipation, I mean, I was thinking about working with Zina since she in, invited me like a couple weeks ago. And we've been talking about it before that anyway. So, But this morning when I was sort of sitting down, like, okay, what am I going to bring? I like the spontaneity of just sort of in that moment choosing what I feel like interacting, what like, mm -hmm. oh, I want to use this cassette tape. or, um, But 
as far as the, the field recordings that I chose, um, <clears throat> I made an effort to really consider, um, like in this weird way, I'm a little like weirded out to admit it, but like um, some sort of nostalgia, like I was feeling some sort of nostalgia, but not in any sort of recognizable form. It was more an attempt at invoking nostalgia, and somehow I have this vast collection of birds. Mm. I don't know why. Did you make <laughs> like, those recordings? I like birds, yes. Yeah. Yes, and um, so I thought, um, and I'm bird-sitting right now. You're bird-sitting. I'm, bir I'm bird-sitting, my friend. He just got out of, I don't know how he got the bird, because he was in prison for like 17 years. Well, the bird man of but Alcatraz. All of a sudden, suddenly he's got this bird, and but like he's sleeping in his car. God, Kevin. The bird sleeps in the car? No. The see, friend sleeps in the car. That's how I somehow ended up with the bird. This is upstate New York. And so when I was, so that yeah, makes sense. this is, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. in my apartment, and I have a picture of the bird, but what anyway, kind of his name's Ossaway. I don't know what it means, but I digress. So I thought, but this is exactly. So I thought I try to connect it to what's happening in my life, yeah. you know, or whatever. Absolutely, because it's all stories. So I think about sound in that way of of, of storytelling or like a visual poem or something. Mm. So, um, what about the pictures? Oh yeah, so I brought a bunch of pictures. Um, I like, I get really a little too excited about staples and I'm trying to cut back on my plastic. Wait, staples, so, the, the small metal objects or no, the retail store? No, the retail store. <laughs> you like going to staples? No, but uh, <laughs> something happens when I get in there and like, <laughs> it's like... It's office supplies that you excited? Yes, I don't know. Because they're not like nice art supplies. Again, it's like I don't know. Okay. So they, ha <laughs> they have these... Pull it up. know what to do with all these postcards uh -huh. so I found all these things at Staples and I um put all my postcards you in made a there. book I made a book yeah like it's fish and Venice uh, yeah so it's just like and I and then so I just use them as inspiration um in a way, almost like a segue. But um, yeah, if we we could pass it, maybe yeah. if you want to look around at them. Um, yeah, and uh, then there was a sound of me walking through Mexico. So I like to just hold the phone and record and walk around the city. So that was me walking around Mexico City, and then um, f birds in Florida, and then a tiny piano in my friend's garage. Mm -hmm. And um, then there was a big piano in Venice that I was playing. And then I tried to play what I was playing on that recording, but then, I don't know, I couldn't really hear that because it wasn't my... Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Did that? I don't know. Did what? So did that answer your question about the record? Yeah. So I just sort of chose some staple, like things that were pretty succinct, but that would also have similar sort of tones or textures. Mm -hmm. And then like, I just kind of faded in and out in little layerings and stuff. I also just like, I don't know how to explain it, but I, I will open the, I don't use like iTunes or anything. I just kind of, anyway. You had those little, I those little windows. This, yeah. You can loop the sound within quick. Right. <clears throat> I don't know how I found that, but anyway. It worked. Like oh, you know, I mean, these. it's a really bad habit. Yeah. That I can't escape from. Well, you mentioned to me in the ride over here that um, for a number of reasons or one reason that you uh, on the road are sort of haven't been doing a lot with the electric yeah, harp. Yeah, I'm not really oh. playing the electric harp outside of New York very much these yeah. days because <clears throat> it's just become too physically demanding to schlep. I mean, yeah. right, so that, yeah, but it, what's it been like to go back to playing the pure? So that's interesting because I've um, <clears throat> started a project with the acoustic harp so that I can just go someplace and get a harp provided and I have a project, a set of pieces that I've made that can be played with processing that I'm doing in Max mm -hmm. um, in the computer. <clears throat> 
and working on how to do that while playing the harp, which means how to make con a controller that I can somehow use while I'm playing or, in, in, or make pieces where I can somehow manipulate sounds while I'm playing, which is its own private hell, but. But is it, does it feel? <clears throat> um, so, so that, so going back to the acoustic harp as an, really using it as an improvising instrument plus having this composed project yeah. is sort of what I've been doing more of now. So I don't travel, and I this used to be like the main instrument that I would improvise with. Right. So, and then I always think, oh, that old thing. But whenever I come back to it, I just... That thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's it's very magical hunk of wood. Yeah, I mean, that's, Two been, by fours. that's been your thing for... Well, yeah, I made, I made, this is the third one, and um, <clears throat> I've been using it since the late 80s, yeah. a, a version of it, and yeah. it's sort of been upgraded each time it gets remade. But now that you're spending a lot of time back with the acoustic harp, like, how, how much of it feels sort of like a return to something almost nostalgic? How much feels like a new challenge musically? Well, um, <clears throat> I'm working on a new set of, processing and thinking about the pedals, you know, pedals in different ways. I mean, it's it's quite great to stop doing something you've done a lot and then come back to it because mm -hmm. then you really think about it in a different way. Like with a But the main thing about the harp is um, my physical relationship to it, which is so particular and and the way gesture is connected to sound in this very um, particular way. With the with this instrument, with this one right here, and it's um, yeah. So, and I don't really like to practice playing. I like to try to figure out how to use the pedals uh -huh. as a separate thing, but I don't like to. I like to be um, <clears throat> like the doing of it is the learning it. Mm -hmm. um, with this instrument, it's completely different with the acoustic harp because. You kind of have to practice that, but <laughs> <laughs> but this is different. It it um it just does something different. Yeah, and it's very convenient that it's only this one, and I don't have to be in relationship to anyone else when I play this instrument, and well, that's also very liberating. How, how do you mean? Um, I started as a pianist, uh -huh. and as a pianist. You know, especially a classical pianist, you can't escape referencing every other incredible pianist that played the right. pieces that you're playing. But when you make an instrument that didn't exist before, of course you're in relationship to other things because you always are, but you have such, the, such a big luxury of making your own space and sort of learning in that space mm -hmm. without... But do you still find that like uh, a basic set of musical fundamentals are grounded either in the piano or the harp, no, no matter how far out you go with? It's just different because yeah. it's not the the relationship to pitch is so different. The relationship to how I'm making sound is so different, and well, the, it, it, the it relationship like to the kinds of sounds that I want. Right. To it almost seems like 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 similar to an electric guitar. Where don't if you, say that. Well, no. What I mean. <laughs> What That's I meant, not good. No, no, no just give, me a, <laughs> give me a second. Like, you're playing the amp as well, yeah. you know? And, like, I can, yeah. when, listening to you tonight, like, there were several moments within the music where, and I might have been completely misreading it, but it was like, oh, yeah, she's, like, having, she's blowing that amp, and that's what, that's where the focus is right now. Well, the amp is part of the instrument. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's not, yeah. I mean, you can quite literally experience the same sonic space as, you know, not as uh, let's say there was like a six string instrument that people plugged into amps <laughs> except this is 23 strings <laughs> right yeah. but it does have a whammy bar, it does have a whammy yeah. bar. <laughs> yeah. so don uh, <laughs> so when you are improvising with people um especially if it's like a first time thing are you often sort of imagining the sonic world that you're going to bring into it like you, you mentioned that you there was birds and a sense of nostalgia with Xena. What, what might that look like if you were playing with someone else? 
I guess it just depends on um, the who, what, where, when, the sort of circumstance. But I've had um, friends that I've worked with over a number of years. Um, <coughs> for example, uh, Mark Galamko, who now lives in Los Angeles, but he used to live here for many years. And um, he's an amazing viola player, mm -hmm. um, singer, and... Um, yeah, we'll just kind of uh, have conversations or just talk about what we're interested in, and then we sort of go from there in the in the space and time of the event. But um, it just depends if it's someone um, more to your question that I've never really worked with before, like with the project in Venice last year. I would just meet people there and they recognized that I had musical instruments and then they would just ask to play. Like mm -hmm. any range of ages too. Like little girls that were like two years old wanted to play the drums, yeah. you know? Yeah, it was like fun. Like their parents were just like excited about them wanting to interact. And like there was this one woman that wanted to play the drums and like she got on and she was super good and like i guess she'd never like her boyfriend had didn't even didn't even know she played and so like those moments where it was just kind of like more of like i'm stepping back so that they can have an experience like i would just play like a maraca and like hold the beat or something mm -hmm. or like a, a hi-hat or i don't know like the flute like um, a lot of the way that I approach sound and music is I'll use the space much like the nomadic studio. I'll use that space as like rehearsal. So with my flute, I would only play the flute every time I was like in performance. So it didn't always sound good. <laughs> it sounded like really like a cat getting smushed or something <laughs> and so um, not that I, uh, I want that for a cat, but I'm just imagining yeah so anyway it took me a while to just even make sounds but so there's a lot of that um f sort of fumbling that i um value mm. in the sincerity of a sound you know and it sort of helps um me when i perform with other people um i don't know it's yeah it's an interesting like i'll admit i was a little a little nervous with performing with Zena because she's so verse and um, amazing. And I'm just like playing clunky cassette tapes, but like, I don't know, it's, it's, I'd like to imagine the space in between, you know, and how we can meet each other halfway. And so for me, when I'm collaborating with someone, be it someone I've really, someone may, I may know or who I've never met before and I, they want to try something like, I'm, I, I remain open first, but, and then, of course, I have, like, go-to sounds mm -hmm. or go-to things that, like, um, I'll re use repetition or use some sort of, um, in my sense, like a, a sort of stable beat, sure. um, like a percussive beat. Like, I'll use cymbals or something. But, um, again, I, it's like, it really does depend on what is happening in that moment but um with someone like like Zena or you know speaking to this specific experience like it's been a while since I've performed so um like I really I really wanted to consider what I had to offer and what I had to bring tonight so Sometimes I'll bring like too many things, you know, too many items to interact with. But tonight I felt pretty um, it felt very concise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, but again, like I've, I'm pretty familiar with these objects that I chose. So, yeah, I don't know. It just like, yeah, I'm at a point though where I want to implement uh, new um, sounds. Like, uh, like I want to get a tuba. And a trumpet, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I have more flutes, but and I have a bell collection. Anyway, I don't know. I'm not doing a very good job. I think no, you're doing a great job. Your question. I, I have to say <laughs> it's that a very complex. Like, one of my favorite sounds in the entire world is the sound of some kind of object, not necessarily musical instrument, with a mic on it going through a PA. 
you know, yeah. whether that's like something paper being scratched across right. or, uh, you know, rocks dropping, yeah. water droplets. Folly arts yeah. is pretty I mean, I could honestly, you know, yeah. I, I think for a lot of people Celery. like us, that's like yeah. a perfectly okay listening experience. Yeah. Um, do you have, like, I, I, I know you have the, the studio that sort of finds itself all over the world, and within that studio, there's just objects and mm -hmm. collections of objects. Do you kind of feel yourself re relating to those objects musically instantly? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah like, I, it, it's um, a lot of the, the studio is about archiving. So I'll archive every single <clears throat> object almost obsessively and um and so then I'll spend that time aloud filling that time to archive so that that would even include sounds so any object that I collect that or I find of interest that makes a sound I, I record it and you keep it all yes it doesn't always really have a place but sure eventually I think yeah but yeah so um yeah and again, do you try to make all the different kinds of sounds you can make with a single object, and yes. then do you categorize what each of those sounds I try are? to categorize So you them. have like a way to describe yes. a system for... Yeah. Yes, sometimes they include drawings too. Nice. Yeah. So it's all about archiving. Yeah. And then I'll layer that to make new sounds and make new archives. Right. I mean, even just like sitting right here, and I'm looking over at Zena's sort of <laughs> mise en place over there, yeah. I'm way more like drawn towards what's on top of the table. Mm. You know, this like strange collection of well-worn items that, that you use to augment the harp. Mm. That I, was a light, that was a pretty light oh, version, <laughs> actually. But I, the interest, the pedals are, in, are um, immediately problematic. How so? Because um, for me, the idea, it's, uh, <clears throat> because most of these pedals are designed to do one thing or two things. Right. And um, it's very hard to escape that kind of, like, they have a wall around them. Yeah. And it's very hard to kind of sabotage that. Is it? And sometimes it's fun to use that identity mm -hmm. as, as, as if it has parentheses around it mm -hmm. and sometimes um, but what I really like is um, <clears throat> what happens when you combine these things and it a little bit mushes what their identity is and then how that kind of goes through the harp and comes back so it makes another kind of is, is possibility it a, is it a matter of, of setting it up in such a way that it surprises you time and time again or is well it it's always going to surprise me yeah I mean that's part. That's one of the ingredients is is how how I deal with what unknown comes at me. Yeah, I I was talking to Frith one time and he he said I was asking you know he's telling me about some tour he did where he played solo for like twenty nights in a row and I was like how do you keep that interesting and he was like he's very straightforward he was like oh I just you know I eliminate a pedal each night or I switch the order of the pedals and it's it's like a very simple way to like introduce um, indeterminacy that or chaos chaos yeah. yeah. Or yeah, the unknown, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those pedals, I'm trying to get them out of my life completely. Yeah. I, I feel like they... Um, oh, man, I'm trying to get into them. Really? <laughs> Come by my house afterwards. They you just can take seem them. so crazy. I don't I'm, know what's I've, going on. Yeah, I've done a, another project recently um, where I... I mean, I really tried to avoid this for years because Fred is actually the first one that said when I first made the harp, why don't you try it flat? Because in those days, everyone was doing tabletop guitar, and I was oh, like, right. no, I'm not gonna do that. It has to look like a harp somehow, and if it's flat, it won't They won't have even that, know what it is, right. It won't have that same identity. So for years, I was like pushing back at that idea of doing tabletop. But then I did a project with a tabletop acoustic harp mm -hmm. and using objects to play it. Right. You did that at Roulette. Yeah. yeah. And then that was that Walter, one of those Walter Benjamin projects. But then um, <clears throat> finally, at the beginning of the summer, of this summer, I st started a project playing this flat with very few pedals. After all those and years then, of resistance. Yeah. Off, and then s sitting on the floor with the harp. So it's more like, it's a little bit like a playpen mm -hmm. vibe. 
um, with a few pedals, and I operate everything with my hands. So the connection between the sound that you hear and my actions is actually much more literal. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be extremely satisfying for people. Well, I mean, the, the audience. Yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> well, I'm curious about that, because you know, I'm always interested in the way the, the physical relationship between the player and the instrument um, affects the performance, the way it affects the, the person's sense of music. And with an instrument like the harp, you're almost literally hugging the instrument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really in, inside you somehow. And how, what do you think that does to be, to be that, to have that physical relationship to an instrument? Do you think that? Well, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's obvious by the, from the way I play how connected yeah. physically I am. But what's interesting is that when you use the pedals like this, it's not always so clear what's doing what. Right. You know, it's more mysterious. When you have it flat with a few less pedals and you actually see me with my hand turn something on and off or turn a knob, uh -huh. and then you hear the sound, you know, the connection is much more distinct. And that legibility seems to really... Um, do something like it, it makes it for more an of a audience. I mean, experience? for people are, that are listening, it, it makes some different, really different kind of connection to yeah. the sound, which I'm fascinated by. What do you think it is? The literal, like somehow the how the literalness is so satisfying. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Weird, right? It is weird. <laughs> I feel like the whole thing with pedals, the whole goal with pedals is to add mystery in some way, but like. Like I see the the green line six, and if I ever hear it, and I know someone's playing a green line six, I, I immediately, you know, want to kill them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but you, you know what I'm saying. Like I feel like the whole purpose of these things is to add that that extra layer of of, of mystery, and I think you do that. Does anyone have any questions while we're all here for Zena or Don? Then, then it, last year in Venice at the opening, it was extremely, it was the most complicated experience I think I've ever, ever had. And uh, it was um, due to many different uh, reasons, uh, never having been um, to Venice Biennale before, never having been to the opening, um, I was sort of, I had two friends with me and they had never been before, so none of us knew what to expect, and um, they had, like, schlepped all their gear with them all the way from L.A., and they were jet-lagged, and I didn't have much time to install, and we were just, like, sort of already drained before it even began, and it's mostly just thousands and thousands of people. Like, there was just thousands of people, like, so many people just kind of walking through the space, and the space was quite, you know, quite large, so the sound bounced around like it didn't really it was like a sort of like dome so it was like a circle and um so we didn't have much time to really find the sound and um it just kind of got muddy and the way that I set it up I set it up more based on aesthetic than I did on the acoustics and um like kind of expecting that the people once they filled into the space it would f you know it would fill in those gaps of the sound and it and it didn't and um I did my best to make it work but then also to understanding that people weren't really probably paying as much attention as I like to think that they are you know like in terms of criticism or what have you in those circumstances but um yeah that was the most that was the most challenging um for me, simply because of the conditions. And again, it's like, just, it's hard as a performer not to take it personally. You know what I mean? Like if someone's chatting or as I don't know. far away from you. Yeah, like, yeah. and you know it's nothing to do with <clears throat> you, but 
it's hard, not, you know, you have to really switch a certain thing on in your mind, you know, that's like oh, self-affirming. What's that? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I've been there. Like there were, there were totally moments during the studio practice experiment where I'd come into work and there were like tours. There were so many tours, and they'd all have like questions, and it was fine. But one day I just wasn't having it. I was like so like just wanted to like do my own thing in my studio, right? Like a normal person. And but because there was like thousands of people in there, I can't just do my that, own thing. That was in Italy. Yes, and so I just went in and I turned on like. What was it? I think it was some sort of like lungfish record or something, and like just turned it up really loud and pointed the speaker like right at the door so they couldn't even talk, and then they just kind of walked away. So yeah, I totally relate. You just turn it up, but then I just kind of laughed and turned it down, and I was like, well, that was rude, but like I don't know, like I had but these, very effective. It was yeah. effective. It cleared them out, but yeah, like yeah. So it's like. It's all a learning process for for me at least, and um, because I don't presume to know what I'm doing with regard to sound, and that's why I love it. Like that's why I love. Me. I mean, I was like in punk rock bands and stuff like that, and like you know, screamo core or whatever, and like it, it was fun. But this way of creating sound in uh, is different. In in I like the. Um, the process of it. I like the, like, the, like, the sort of um, fumbling, stumbling, you know, to get to a certain sort of um, place with it. But yeah, I'm really noticing that, like, <laughs> and people. The social. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. The social, it's really, it becomes a part of it, you know? So yeah, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> cool. Mr. Greg Fox. Oh, the origin. Yeah. The origin of the electric harp. Well, I, <clears throat> in the mid 80s, when I came to New York and I was playing acoustic harp with transducer pickups on it, it was the most dreadful sound ever. I mean, I needed to amplify the acoustic harp because I was playing with loud instruments like drums. You know how I like to play with drums. And um, electric guitars. I was playing with loud instruments and um, it was impossible to be heard. So then I started putting pickups on the acoustic harp and that was a complete failure because it just reduced the sound of this beautiful instrument to something extremely tinny. It reduced the, the range of the instrument to a place where it just wasn't enjoyable to play. So the next uh, <clears throat> problem to solve was what the hell am I going to do as a harpist if I want to play harp, but I also want to be heard. And, and th in those days, um, also there weren't very many women Playing. So it was about the worst situation to be a small, blondish woman playing harp and playing your, you know, you can only play so loud and yeah. not basically being heard. It was kind of all wrong. So um, <clears throat> Tom Cora is the one who I was working with um, in Skeleton Crew with Fred, and he's the one that said, let's make an electric harp. So let's just try making something. So we made something literally the most primitive, literally one by ones with pickups. The two of you constructed. Well, actually, we, I, I told him what I wanted, and uh -huh. he and this um, artist, Julian Jackson, made it in Julian's workshop because he had tools and stuff. Yeah. So I said, I want this, I want this, I want this many strings and let's try it. So I got all the parts and we decided, you know, like auto harp pegs and uh -huh. pickups from the store that were used and uh, <clears throat> was kind of literally banged together and I started using it. Um, I was playing a Korg CX-3 organ and we built this contraption so that I could put the harp perpendicular right up off the Korg organ. It was Really. Do you remember the first gig with that? Yeah, and I had no idea how to tune it. I, you know, it was just a total mystery. And also, 
because I was still in transition learning how to play electric and learning that playing electric means that the sound, you're really not hearing, you're hearing the sound disembodied from where you're playing it. Mm. So that whole experience of, of like hearing the sound coming out of a box rather than hearing it in your ear. So like all this stuff to get used to. But the most incredible thing was is that it worked. Like whatever this primitive triangle with strings on with crappy pickups, no whammy bar at the time. It, we, it was instantly clear that this was an idea that was going to work. Yeah. And the other thing is, in those days, there were no electric harps to buy. There were, and no one was playing a harp on a stand like the, you know, the, it was, there was no real ro role model to, or you couldn't go to the store and get an electric harp like you can now. Can you really? Oh, yeah. Every company makes electric harps now. But um, they make solid body and acoustic harps with pickups. Right. Um, <clears throat> then the next thing was to get a real instrument made. And um, we went to, um, get an ins you know, someone that was a, a luthier that made guitars and had a proper instrument made. And that one had the whammy bar, but it was still, um, pickups weren't really in the right place, and it's a, it was a little awkward, but it was a huge improvement. So I had that for a while, and then uh, when I finally made, was making a little money with Bjork, I took the harp I had, sort of traced it on some newspaper, folded up the newspaper, and sent it to my friend Douglas Henderson, who is an incredible instrument builder, mm -hmm. even though it's not his profession, he's a sound artist. And we had talked about a lot, him building me harp, and he from, you know, just he got the size, and we had, he goes, the, you need to have the pickups in a different place, you should put ebony on it, because that's gonna change. Like, he understood how crucial materials, um, kinds of wood, um, ergonomics of the shape of it, the subtleties of the shape of it, where the pickups need to be. This is the Doug Henderson harp. And this is the Doug Henderson harp. Yeah. And he pretty, when, and this is the third harp that I've had made. So mm -hmm. in this kind of an instrument, I sort of feel like that's, that's probably as good as it's gonna get. Yeah. yeah. Oh, why I don't like to call it an electric guitar, even though it's all electric guitar parts. Yeah, that is true. No, I just, um, because I really, it's really important for me that it's more in the world of a harp than in the world of an electric guitar. Because for me, the meaning somehow is very different. Um, but I like very much that I can play the harp loud, that I can work with. I like the, some of the language that I can steal from the electric guitar and insert it in the world of the harp. Plus I get all the harp stuff. Well, I don't get all the harp stuff in this, but I get enough, of, en enough harp stuff that it makes it quite satisfying. And initially, the reason I also wanted to play it standing or play it more like an acoustic harp is that I wanted to somehow use that technique of an acoustic harp, like the way you position your hands and um, as a starting point. So that's why it was also very important not to play it flat, because that really was, became about something else. Right. Venice situation with turning on the music, and I'm thinking, well, some people would 
would just like interact with them because that that would really uh, maybe captivate them and and they would be a part of it then they wouldn't feel so alienated you know and walk away because it's just like okay well you, you lost some listeners or, you know whatever whatever but we're all well, it was just thousands of people every day. So oh, I did, I did, I did interact with people. Like I talked to one guy about Robert Maplethorpe for like three hours. Uh, like I mean, sometimes people find themselves yeah. in a situation where music is example. happening. Yeah. What we call music that they really have no interest in being there. They're there to socialize. They're not there to be a listener, mm. and in fine. that, which is yeah. totally fine. But like. Um, it also, so, I mean, I've also a few times have found myself playing where people are clearly like fashion shows or something like that, yeah. where people want a harpist at their fashion show. And um, I, I did this once, and only once. But, it, you know, people would brush right, like I was completely invisible. You were in the way. I was in the way. Yeah. There was no, no, no one could care less that there was this big, beautiful instrument with someone playing it. Yeah. They, they were there for completely other things. And it was complete, it was meant, um, the image was more important than the sound. The image of someone sitting at a harp in this event was really the most important thing. So it wasn't, a, it was about something completely different. But in terms of, how we as performers create a space to listen to music. Um, in this acoustic harp project that I do, this um, kept, called Captiva, uh, <clears throat> wherever I do it, and it's often on a stage with an audience over there, I always put the audience on the stage with me. I put chairs on, and I, I really, um, it started with a project I was doing called Impossible Tasks, where I would literally put the audience as close to me, and I play acoustic as close to me as possible, with the idea that I want them to hear what I'm hearing. Like, yeah. it becomes a very intimate situation. But not all listening situations need to be that. But, but I feel that... Um, <clears throat> having that be one of the ways I can connect to an audience and having then this range of that kind of intimacy to this where we're kind of having a first meeting and a conversation and we're sharing that with you. It's a, but it's a, different, it's a different kind of situation. Thanks for your question. I'm not so sure they're separate items, right. actually. Oh, yeah. And for me, every situation is different. But I would never imagine that the sound is separate from those things that you're talking about. Like, they're, it, they're, they're so enmeshed. And then the possibility then presents itself to... Um, relate to those issues of structure or form or systems or um, ideas from, from, for how to go from one moment to the next or, and how you might, how you, the millions of ways you might think about how you want to construct that, then that's something you can think about before, think about as it comes up when you're playing, you know, an ex you can try different kinds of experiments of how to be in 
those ideas in relationship to sound. So really, for me, it just each situation is, mm -hmm. is different. And you, you might get that there's a certain project or a way of thinking about those issues that you want to keep working on. So that becomes a thing on its own. So for instance, that impossible task project was trying to do something on the harp that wasn't possible to do really, which is bend notes. Because you pluck this string and that's it. But, and I wanted to be able to bend notes without using an extra tool like a bolt or a pencil or, you know, I didn't want to use an extra object to bend the notes. I wanted to be able to use the instrument itself, so not, not adding extra objects. So I figured out a way to do it, which is pretty obvious, which is using the pedals. The pedals on acoustic harp are basically um, supposed to be invisible. You're not supposed, they're supposed to be used as um, a background way to change keys and to change pitches, but you're, you're always instructed that those pedal changes should be silent and should happen, you know, all this stuff is happening in your feet and you're, no one is really supposed to be aware of it. But I thought that would be really interesting to put that pedal movement and that possibility to move between natural and flat and natural and sharp, put that more in the foreground. So that impossible task project was all about that. Now, I didn't compose moment to moment, but I set up a kind of container for certain experiments to happen that were, you know, that were realized in different ways every time I did it. For instance. Well, thank you everyone for coming. Yeah, thank, thank you, Zena Parkins and Don Casper. <laughs> thank you so uh, much thank you. for having us. Uh, thank you, Jeremiah. Fifteenth, uh, we'll be back here again with uh, Ben Goldberg, the clarinetist. So August fifteenth, if you're around, come Does out. Anyone still have those postcards? Oh yeah. Hey guys. Thank you.
Christina Parsons and John Castro.